just like that. There's our theme verse. Praise the Lord, all you nations, extol or applaud him, all you peoples, for great is his love for us, toward us. God's love toward us. And his faithfulness endures forever. And that's a good thing to praise the Lord for every day, to begin the day, to end the day. So as we look at the world and think about the world, okay, let's see, I might have to have some button pushing back there, okay. If we uh, think about the world, this is the world we live in, you can kind of figure out where we are, although I understand that almost half of Americans can't find their way to where their country is on a globe. So let me just help you out in case you're lost. You're up there in the green section. Okay, and you see about halfway down the green section, some big parts that go straight up. Well, that's not us. That's Canada. You know Canada's just to the north of you? Did you know that? Okay. <laughs> okay. You're up here, and that's the rest of the world. And if I said to you, how do you think we should reach the other half of the world? How would you... Define half. The what? Children. children and adults. That's one way. Good. Yeah. I think through uh, nations. Nations? Like half of them, maybe northern latitude and southern latitude nations? That'd be kind of a half. Don't know the numbers exactly. How else? Left-handers, right-handers, <laughs> forks, chopsticks, <laughs> Republicans. Oh, no, no, that doesn't work out there. <laughs> How else? Sports. sports? Those who play sports and those that don't. <laughs> those who watch sports and those that don't. Soccer and non-soccer, maybe that's half and half, okay. Uh, yeah, just think, how would you, uh, English speakers and non-English speakers, uh, you couldn't say Christians and non-Christians because we're about a third of the world. Well, I want to tell you, they have figured it out for us. And this next slide shows us where 51% of the world lives. That's the other half of the world. Isn't that amazing? Inside that little circle. Now we've talked about, next slide, we've talked about the 1040 window here on many occasions. That's that strip across the North Africa and includes India and China. And it's uh, from the 10 degrees above the equator to 40 degrees above the equator. The blue would be all Muslim countries. The green would be Hindu countries. The yellow would be, well, wait a minute, back up. Uh, back up the other way. Back up the other, uh, the other way. One more, back. Uh, boy, this has got, you know, this has got a mind of its own. The yellow is the communist country. The orange would be Buddhist countries. The bright green is Indonesia. Uh, but this would be two-thirds of the population of the world. Now we'll go to the next slide. And that's the circle we're talking about. And let's just put the names of the countries on. So the next slide. Now here's what I want you to do. And in this slide, as of this afternoon, 
are three million or three billion six hundred and thirty-seven million eight hundred and thirty thousand five hundred and fifty-seven people. Half the population of the world, fifty-one point four percent of the population, twenty-one countries. What I want you to do is look at that slide. You have you know if somebody out there has the clicker and you're trying to hurry me along, <laughs> this is not going to work. Okay, there we are. <laughs> North Korea, South Korea, Japan, Taiwan, Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Malaysia, Thailand, Burma, or Myanmar, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Nepal, Bhutan, China, Tibet, Mongolia. There's one of those countries that hits your button. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you know somebody from there. Maybe one of the missionaries that you know is from there. Maybe you've uh, read something of interest in the paper. I want you to grab that right now in the back of your head. I want you to grab that country. Well, I'll wait. Has everybody got one? Anybody that hasn't decided yet? Okay, that's your country. Would you commit to pray for that country for the rest of 2015? Put it someplace, on your dashboard when you're sitting at a red light, instead of fussing about the light, pray. Over your mirror when you're brushing your teeth, pray. I've even seen in the shower the name reminding people to pray for things. Someplace where you will remember to pray for it. You're going to be amazed what happens. And later in the message, I'm going to tell you something that's going to be really amazing to you. But you, you grab one of those countries, and that's your country you're going to pray for. You're going to pray for any missionaries. So now you've got to go out in the concourse and see if there's any missionaries from that country, because you certainly want to keep tabs with them. Thank you. That was quick. That was good. I was ready to move. Oh, not yet, no. Okay, we're going to back up one now, one more forward. Okay, and now one more. Today, tonight we're going to talk about God's operates on a two-way street. Oh, thank you, thank you. I have my own now. Okay, whoever has the other one, give it up. Thank you. God operates on a two-way street. First of all, he says that we are to go and represent him. We all know that. This is a missions conference. That's what he's talking about. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Let's just find out exactly what he's talking about here. We're going to start with verse 14. On one or verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave this command to them. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father that, that my Father has promised, which, uh, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore your kingdom, uh, uh, the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses 
He didn't ask their opinion on this, by the way. He didn't vote in the group. He announced, you're going to be my witnesses. Some of you are going to be lousy witnesses. Some of you are going to be great witnesses. But you're going to be a witness of me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Really simple. He says, go and be his representative. Go and be his witness. His love toward us would be represented in the truth that he trusts us to represent him. Do you know that you represent Jesus? Amen. Even if you don't want to, you represent Jesus. People who know you go to this church will judge Jesus by you. That's what they do. It's not fair. It's not right. But that's what they do. So, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Judea, or Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. Samaria was not a place people wanted to go. We talked about that this morning. And it may be that you're going to be sent someplace where people don't want to go. But they need a witness there. So the question would be, what will I be? I'm going to be a witness. When I say yes to Jesus, and his Holy Spirit comes into my life, I will be a witness. So, I just have to tell him what I know about Jesus. That's what a witness does. Tells the truth of what he knows, what he saw, what he witnessed. Tells maybe about his salvation. Tells about meeting Christ. What he knows about Jesus. He's a witness. Second question. How will I do it? Well, I will do it in his power. I will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not my power. So the minute you say, I can't do it, you're absolutely right. You can't do it. But the Holy Spirit can do it. And the amazing thing is, the Holy Spirit powers up in the event when it's taking place. You will not feel the power of the Holy Spirit as you're walking along in life. But when you open your mouth to be a witness of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit takes over and begins to do things that maybe you would not have done otherwise. And where do I do it? Well, I do it wherever I find myself. I'm his witness wherever I am. Do you know that that's all your missionaries are? They're doing what you're supposed to do here. They just happen to do it someplace else. They're witnesses of Christ. That's what a missionary is someplace else. So, I do it at home, or I do it far away. I told you I was going to talk about Nepal. Let me just tell you a little bit about Nepal. Because it's a great story of witnessing. Nepal is that little yellow strip between India and China. Until 2008, it was a Hindu kingdom. If you were a Christian, you were kicked out of your village, you were kicked out of your family, and sometimes you were put in jail. Most of the time you fled the country and went down to India. 2008, that all changed. Christians came back and began to share their faith. This is the beauty of Nepal. It is a beautiful, beautiful country. So this is from a valley looking up into the mountains, which are all over the place the Himalayas, and this is from the mountains looking down into the valleys. 
The people tend to live down in these remote valleys. To get to a valley, it's not at all unusual to walk seven, ten hours off of a road to get to a village in a valley. That's why the earthquake was such a devastation when it hit April 25th. Epicenter was in uh, a little community called Gorka, a town called Harmi, and uh, Kathmandu, you can see it on the map there. A terrible earthquake. The country was not built to handle earthquakes. Panic hit. People just did anything they could do to get out of the city and get away from buildings. I love this picture. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, and the kid in the bucket down there, nine. <laughs> on their motorcycle getting out of there. And it was, it was panic. You know, when panic comes to people, when people go through scary, difficult times, it is a marvelous time to be a witness of God's love. That's when your love or God's love through you really pays off. So the little tiny, this is the buildings, that's why they fell down, they were built just rocks piled together. So the little tiny church in Nepal, little tiny church, growing, 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 but still rather small, but growing quickly, they begin to come up with ideas. The, the communities of Nepal are made up of family units. So if a shepherd will marry a girl and go out and take care of his sheep, and then they have kids, and then the family grows, and pretty soon there's a little community there of maybe 30 or 40 houses and maybe 60, 80 people living in this valley with their sheep, and it's family. So this valley would be here, this village would be there, this village would be here. People from this village who went over to that village would be viewed as outsiders. And so they would not be received well, in fact, usually abused. If they're a young girl, they might be stolen to be a wife of one of the men. But they, they are not treated well. They don't want outsiders. They don't have roads. They have paths, and the paths are kind of hard to get along. And so now earthquake comes and everything falls down. The Christians in this village turn to their friends and say, can we help you rebuild your house? Well, who does that? But they're Christians, and the love of God comes through them, and so they help rebuild the house. Then they say, let's go over there and help those people. They come over, these people at first resist them. Then they say, we're here to help you rebuild your village. And uh, we found that in India we could find a lot of these tin, these tin structures like this. That's $120 worth of tin. It's very stable. The United Nations gave out tarps and tents and the wind just tear those apart. But the tin, it doesn't tear apart. So we would say to these people over here, if you will clear a piece of ground, we will bring some stuff in that will last through the rains and the monsoons. And, uh, well, why are you doing that? Well, because if Jesus were here, he would do that. Well, who's Jesus? Well, let us tell you about Jesus. Village after village after village. Here's, here's a list of the villages so far, right there. Those are the names of villages. Polkara is not a village, it's a city. 
You have Kathmandu, of course, the capital, but it's also been happening in there, where they get these houses, rebuild the houses, they get bags of food delivered on a regular basis, they get a radio <laughs> so they can listen to a local station because we have eight stations, but today I got an email saying we're putting in a ninth one so uh, they can listen to a station, talked about how to survive and where to get clean water. We got them gas stoves, mattresses, blankets, tin homes, rice, salt, oil, tarps, tools, medicine, radios, solar lights. These are solar lights because they don't have any power. It's all been locked out. And they're all delivered by Christians who just do it as an act of love. They go to these hostile villages that they've been at war with. They've been fighting over sheep. They've been fighting over land. They go in and in peace they do this. This was on April 25th. In every village, when we put in one of these tin roofs, we say, do you mind if we put in an extra one? You can use it for storage, but remember it's ours, and we might want to use it in the future. Remember the guy, oh no, 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 that was, okay, this morning in one of the services, I told about a man, one of the partners in Nepal, who has rescued girls from the sex trade. Does that sound familiar? Well, where was that? Was that in here? Oh, okay. Sorry for the others. Uh, his name is Ramesh, and <clears throat> he rescues girls from the sex trade. And in about 10 years now, he has rescued 17,000 women from the sex trade. He puts them in halfway houses, trains them to do a job, puts them into a job, and introduces them to Christ. And some of them have now become evangelists and strong evangelists, not only of protect your daughters and take care of your daughters, but of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a powerful thing. So we put one extra building in each, each village because eventually they're going to say, we want to know more about this Jesus. And the girls are teaming up in teams of three to a team they want to come into these villages. They can't go home because their parents are the ones who sold them into sex trade. So they, they have to go someplace else. They want to come into these villages. They want to help with the children. They want to help with the gardening. And they want to live in our extra house. <laughs> That's called a house. And they want to tell people about Jesus. What a strategy. We have one of those houses in every one of these villages, plus quite a few more. Churches just expanding throughout Nepal. And it's all done by Christians who are not more than three or four years old in Christ. They're young Christians, first-generation Christians. They don't have any examples or models. They just love Jesus, and they want to tell people about him. That's exactly the plan Jesus had. Go and be my witness. Don't be my arguer. Don't be my judge, please. I want you to be my witness. Wherever you are, start close to home and then end up someplace around the world. Become a citizen of the world and be a witness. I look at the church of Nepal and I realize... In a lot of ways, they're jumping ahead of us because they understand giving their faith away because they know what it was like not having it to start with. I think we've forgotten what it's like not having it to start with.
Then Jesus comes along and says, but it's really a two-way street. And the second part is he brings them to us. And this is where your country comes in, because I want to tell you what's going to happen between now and Christmas. You're going to meet somebody from your country. I don't know where it'll be, in the beauty shop, in the grocery store, in the most unusual, amazing way. I know you're looking at me like, come on, that can't happen. It's going to happen. The country you took, you're going to meet somebody from that country. And the reason you're going to meet them is because God's going to orchestrate getting you together. If they're a believer, it's to encourage you. If they're not a believer, it's for you to encourage them. All right? Now, we gotta, we got to keep our, our we got to be fair on this. You chose the country. It's in your mind. I'm telling you, within the next several months, you're going to meet somebody from that country. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know where it's going to happen. But it's going to be a God thing. It's not going to be an accident. You will not have to spend one second praying about it. God will make it happen. What you want to find out is, do they know Jesus? If they do, they're going to encourage you. But if they don't, then it's your job to tell them about Jesus. Okay? That's the assignment coming out of here. So we go over to Acts chapter 2. Let's just look at Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. They were all together. Hmm. They were all together. Does you read that too? Same thing? Wow, that's amazing. They were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blow, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them... Does you say that too? All? Does it use the word all, really? Anybody have something different for goodness? Let's see if we can find something different. Anybody, any translation different? Hmm. Okay, we'll have to take that one then. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews of every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard his own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, and this is rather a long question that they asked, but it's all in quotes, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? They're pointing to these guys, these disciples. How then is it that each of us, and they kind of point around to this big crowd that has gathered, and we find out that when Peter's through preaching, 5,000 people were there. How, how is it that all of us hear them in our native language? Parthians. Now you can see this guy, whoever's doing the talking, kind of looking around. There's Parthians. And there's some Medes, and over there are some Elamites, and there's some residents from Mesopotamia. I don't know how they got here. They came along, Judea, Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Perga, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, and 
visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, and Christians and Arabs. I mean, just down the line. And then he says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. They were being witnesses, just like God told them to be, in their own language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Is it the end of the world? What, what's going on here? Now some, of course, standing over here on the side had an answer. And they said, oh, they have had too much wine. <laughs> then verse 14, then Peter. Let me show you three coincidences. Number one, huh, the Bible said this, so I can't, I can't leave it off. God will empower everyone. He'll empower you. I know you don't think you're worthy. I know you don't think you're as sharp as Pastor Don or Pastor Doug. I know you don't think you know enough about the Bible. God will empower you. What a coincidence. You have no out. He wants to use you. He will empower you. Two, God will bring people to you. Those disciples in Jerusalem didn't have to go anywhere. People from every nation under earth were there. They were there. God brought them in. He says, I want you to go out, but I'm also going to bring people to you. I want you to seek out people. I will bring them because I have a plan. My will is that no one perish. And God can use anyone. Isn't it amazing, a coincidence, that the guy that preached that sermon in Jerusalem was Peter? The, the one disciple who really, really blew it. And he blew it by being embarrassed to admit that he knew Jesus. And now all these people are amazed and perplexed and wondering what's going on and who is it that stands up and explains what's going on it's the guy who we would say was the coward we know the end of the story so we know that he wasn't but at that point we would say he was a coward and yet he was the one who stood up and preached two truths one we've been talking about here God is not willing that any should perish. Second truth is, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now this morning we talked a little bit about China. And this guy's picture was in the middle of my board. Samuel Lamb. Uh, Samuel Lamb was a pastor in China. In 1955, he was arrested and put in jail because he was preaching. In 1957, they let him out because they thought they had re-educated him. In 1958, they discovered they had not re-educated him. They put him back in jail, and he was there until 78. It was my great honor to meet this man in 1979, right after he got out of jail. 
Uh, they wanted to humiliate him. In every town, they have, in China, they have deep ditches along the side of the road. That's where sewage goes. And it runs down the ditches, and at the end of the ditch, there's what they call a honey pot. They have honey buckets, and they have the honey pot. The honey pot is what all the sewage pours into. Now, if it's just plain sewage, that's fine, because they can take a bucket and use it on their rice patties. But there's always stuff in the sewage. There's leaves, there's twigs, there's paper, there's stuff in the sewage. They need to clean this stuff out of the sewage. That became his job. He would wade into the sewage and be in the sewage all day, wading around, because it comes all day from different directions into this big pot. It's really a hole in the ground. And he would be wading through this, sometimes up to his chest, separating the paper and the twigs and the leaves and whatever else was there and taking it out so that they could just dip a bucket in and get what they needed for their rice patties. He did that for 20 years. 20 years. 365 days a year times 20. Because he preached the gospel. I asked him how he survived. And he said, well, it smelled so bad the guards didn't want to be around the sewage pit. So he says, I could sing. And he said, I sang every day. He said, in fact, I sang the same song all the time. Well, you know, being an American, you have the details. What song would you sing? Oh, one of your songs. One of your old hymns. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. I mean, amazing. 20 years. He came out of the pit in 1978, came back to the church, and said, uh, how are we doing, church? And they said, oh, man, we've, we've been protecting the church, we backed off, uh, nobody, we're not bothering anybody. He said, that's not going to work. The reason we are here is to tell people about Jesus. So we need to become more aggressive. His phrase was, more persecution means more growth. Don't be afraid of them. They cannot hurt you. And he started a Chinese house movement that grew to 80 million very quickly. He's written 200 booklets. And in the process, a young man was touched named Brother Yoon. Some of you know this book. Anybody know Heavenly Man? Yeah, several of you have read it. Brother Yoon was touched by that and has carried on that ministry. And I have a website up here called Back to Jerusalem. If you want to read about it, they're not at all embarrassed about it. It's right there. You can read about it and uh, read their whole history and their strategy. And their strategy is very simple. Um, Jesus ministered in Jerusalem. 
Then the disciples took it, and mostly to the Europe, to the, the West, and then Europe brought it over to America, and then America took it to China, and to Japan, and to Korea, and now it's our job to take it back to Jerusalem. And since Americans can't work in those countries between here and Jerusalem, then we're gonna do it. That's why 10,000 missionaries a year going out to spread the gospel back to Jerusalem, most of them on one-way tickets. This church just uh, reopened uh, last year. Uh, it's about 200 miles south of Shanghai. It was started in 1886. Wonderful missionaries were there for many years and built this, this church and the Christians there. But late 50s, it was forced to close. Then it reopened in 1978 when uh, Brother Lamb got out of jail, rebuilt the church last year. It seats about 5,000 people, many, many services every Sunday. And their pastor is 27 years old. And when, when I asked the pastor, what is your purpose? What is your goal? The pastor said to me, we have two motivations. One is our gospel mission, exactly what you do here in your church. And the other is serving society. We want to be Christ in our villages. We want to be Christ in our shops. We want to be Christ out there in the world. We are his witnesses. Christianity can also play a role in maintaining peace and stability in society. Without God, people can do as they please. Isn't that true? We're finding that true. So amazing thing happened in 2002. My friend David Aikman, some of you have read Jesus in Beijing, wonderful book. David Aikman's the author of that book. He's a, a journalist for NBC, I think it is. He was at the reception for Chang Zeming before he left office, president of China, head of the Communist Party. And the question was asked, if before leaving office, you could make one decree that you knew would be obeyed in China, what would it be? Now you're asking the president of China who can make any decree that he wants to, and it will be obeyed. I asked David, actually, if this was hearsay or if he actually heard it. I was curious. And he said, no, I was there, I heard it. Here's what the president of China said. I would make Christianity the official religion of China. Why? Because the China House Church operates in this format. They don't invite anybody to church. They don't go out and put posters up. They can't. They can't invite because they don't know who they're inviting. It could be a trap. So they don't invite anybody to church. They live their lives in such a way that the people say, where can I find out more about what you are all about. Oh, well, why don't you go with me to a meeting and they'll explain it to you. The House Church of China, 180 million strong, is built on people who are being brought by the Holy Spirit to Christians in China. And the reason it's growing so well, I believe, is because God can trust the Chinese to tell them about Jesus. Can God trust you? Can God trust you to tell people who he brings to you because you are his witness? You are the light in your community. 
Can he trust you to be his witness? If he can, he'll bring them. He'll bring them. He did it in China. God operates on a two-way street. We go and represent him, and he also brings them to us. We need to be ready. God loves everyone. Are we faithful enough to tell them? Let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you for that church in Nepal, those first-generation Christians who have never seen another Christian in operation. They just know that they have to love people and be nice to them and do kind things to them and, and somehow earn the right to tell them that they're doing it in the name of Jesus and then hopefully be able to explain Jesus to them. And Lord, somehow you have empowered them to do that and it's working. It's, it's amazing what's happening in Nepal, even with the earthquake. Thank you for letting us rebuild thousands of homes for those people. Thank you for the people here in the States that have provided funding for that. Thank you for the people praying for the people in Nepal. Thank you for what you're doing there. And thank you for the church in China. Um, so many shades and pictures and shapes and some good, some bad. But people are finding out who Jesus is. And it's changing their lives. Thank you. Thank you for their faithfulness to take the church into their community. To take you with them wherever they go. To recognize that they are your witnesses. Thank you, Lord. I, I don't know how they figured this out, but they have. And as a result, you're blessing them in a powerful way. In the middle of communism, you're building your church. Lord, we want you to do that here with us. As we think of our history as a witness, some of us need to be embarrassed. We haven't shared our faith with anybody for a long time. And yet there's people all around us who need to know the truth. Forgive us. Forgive us, Father. Okay, I want to pray for you. I, I just feel led that there's people here who need to, in front of their friends and family, maybe say, hey, I, I have not been a good witness. And I want to be a good witness. And I want to start it right here tonight. So if that's you, I'd invite you to just slip to your feet. And the first part of the whole prayer is repentance. God, forgive me for being embarrassed or being afraid or being proud or whatever. I don't know what it is, but whatever that is, that's where it starts. That's what you're going to first say when you stand up. And then you're going to say, okay, God, let's go. And you're going to feel his love. It's going to sweep through you. It's going to be super. Anybody else want to stand? Just, if you want to, don't stand because somebody else stands. Just stand because in your heart you're saying, it's time for me to get my act together. I have just messed up something. I'm phony. I'm a phony Christian. That's what I am. 
Okay, there are situations where maybe you're like Peter and you have actually denied that you're a Christian follower of Christ. You just want to get that off the books and in the clear tonight. Anybody else want to join these standing? Good. I'll just wait till they quit standing. Keep standing. Father, you see these people that are standing. You know who they are, and you know exactly what's going on in their hearts. Some of them are fighting big stuff. Some of them are just making sure. Some of them are so eager to be your witness. They just want to make sure every loose end is tied together. And others have some big issues that they're dealing with. And Lord, I pray that you just whoosh them with a great sense of your love. May they feel that right now. How pleased you are with their desire to be a witness. You've called them that, and they've accepted the mantle and the responsibility. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless them, encourage them, and give them an opportunity to be a witness real soon. And Lord, then right after that, whether they make it or not, give them another opportunity <laughs> so they can feel your power and your pleasure. Thank you for being with us here tonight. Thank you for sharing those words that you gave to your disciples and that situation that happened in Jerusalem. Thank you that you're willing to send us or to bring people to us. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for these people in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.